0: this is fm 100.5 101.9 am 1450 and wgnsradio.com rutherford county's place the talk stand by rutherford county the wgns action line continues a search for truth right now that time eight twenty. dr dan rudd in studio with us this morning how are you today
1: i'm great good to be here today and uh It's such a beautiful day, and everything's looking up.
0: Definitely so. Well, we started off the show with me coughing off the air, (laughs) but, you know, it brings me to that whole thing of of allergies. I I don't know what it is, but this year it feels like I've just been more stuffy, so I don't know if there's more allergies, more pollen in the air than there used to be, or what it is.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any more pollen. I think that what happens is our bodies are constantly changing, and we... As, as people tend to have times that we uh, develop allergies that you, it's hard to explain because, you know, you say, well, I didn't have it before, but then I do now. We become allergic. That happens with everything from, say, penicillin. You know, most people who have a, a severe allergy to penicillin, it happens during the middle of the course of therapy it's it develops
0: that's wild
1: and so uh, you know allergies are dynamic they're always changing
0: it's crazy to think you you know one day you're fine and then next week you're allergic to xyz
1: well and that's the good news that one day you're fine the next day you're not here yeah, it's yeah, true. You know, true. I know.
0: <laughs> Again, Dr. Dan Rudd in studio with us this morning, and you have been practicing here in Rutherford County for how many years? I, I, oh,
1: more than I can count. <laughs> I, I, um, I opened my practice uh, when I was 28, wow. and so uh, that was in 1983, and have been uh, practicing internal medicine here since that time.
0: And you also or over, I guess, medicine and and what, medical, everything at the local jail, too.
1: Basically, it's like a managed care organization. You know, I do everything from uh, uh, taking care of of day-to-day illnesses, acute injuries. Uh, I've had um, extra training in alcohol and drug use and abuse. Uh, I do all the detoxing. Uh, We've done all the... um, Management of people who, uh, case management where people have to go to the hospital, uh, negotiate fees with the hospitals, uh, pay the bills, and uh, stay in budget. And so far, you know, that's gone very well.
0: That's got to be
1: interesting, working
0: with inmates who come in because, you know, as you were mentioning, alcohol, drugs, all of that stuff, they may be on it one day. The next thing, you know, that happens is they get arrested and, and they're all of a sudden being forced to quit.
1: That's exactly right, and that's why you know we're very careful in our detox program. We um, uh, have very specific training for our nurses and our nurse practitioners, and uh, it's it's been uh, um, very interesting and and really a fun part of my practice life. How how does that work when
0: somebody gets arrested? They're all of a sudden an inmate there at the local jail, but yet. Obviously, they're showing signs of detoxing from, maybe it is drugs or maybe it is alcohol, but how dangerous is that detox?
1: Well, detox uh, can vary dependent upon what you're addicted to. Alcohol and benzodiazepines are the most dangerous drugs to detox from.
0: What are benzodiazepines?
1: Uh, Xanax or uh, Ativan, Clonopin, those type of drugs. the uh, detox from opiates is very uncomfortable, but it's not fatal. Um, Detox from other things like uh, crystal meth is, again, very uncomfortable, but not fatal. And, uh, you know, what we do is symptomatic treatment of people who um, are detoxing from those substances. But with alcohol, um, delirium tremens is the uh, name of the uh, uh, disease that Exists when you withdraw from alcohol and it can be fatal.
0: So the I guess the signs of that What types of things do you see when somebody's withdrawing from alcohol? Let's say they're I don't know 60 years old And they're detoxing for the first time in their life from alcohol
1: Well, that's a common problem that we see and usually it, it is initiated with uh, agitation uh, you know, drug seeking, where they're trying to medicate their symptoms because that's how they've done it in the past, and uh, it can progress to uh, a lot of tremor. It can you can move on to seizures. Uh, you can have mental changes that involve what's called confabulation, where basically you're 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 talking and the words make sense, but it has no bearing on truth. Um, it's it's a complex that. You recognize as an entity uh, when they come in and you begin treatment quickly. I mean, we always begin. if they have a history of alcohol use that's heavy, we initiate treatment at the very beginning of their incarceration. That's got to be scary for the inmate too. Oh, you know, it's it's very scary. I think that they realize that most people who are going to – have severe detox from alcohol have had little occasions at home where they didn't drink for a few days and they start to feel the symptoms and so they go ahead and and resume drinking to make those symptoms disappear so most people are aware of what it feels like when they don't get their their alcohol
0: and how many days after that person stops drinking do they start having this impact of you know all the different feelings that their body goes through even
1: to the seizures. It varies, but it's usually within hours oh, wow. and it's, you know, there'll be s- some symptoms within uh, 12 hours, but uh, Generally the uh, danger zone is the first 96 hours after 96 hours Then you can feel pretty comfortable that they're gonna be okay
0: And then you mentioned the the other I guess drugs that people are coming down from things like the pain pills I mean those are yeah. really big right now.
1: Well opiates are huge in this country now. And, you know, we know that, that basically a lot of the drugs that get into this country now actually are produced in China and sold to the drug cartels in Mexico and then move across the southern border. And as we've seen this opening of the southern border with uh, the current administration, we're having this huge influx in fentanyl. Yeah. And it's uh, it, it's going to be devastating.
0: And there was recently a, a huge arrest made in Middle Tennessee where a A massive amount of fentanyl was, I guess, taken off the streets of Middle Tennessee. Uh,
1: Only to be replaced by much more. It doesn't cure anything, but we have to do what we can.
0: So the withdrawal from those types of drugs is usually, you say, not life or death situation, but it is uncomfortable.
1: Well, opiates, you know, you have to look what primary effects do opiates have. And a lot of the effects are related to the GI tract. Uh, it slows down the GI tract and so when you remove the opiates, it speeds up the GI tract So you end up with a nausea, vomiting and diarrhea and abdominal pain. Okay, and so, so that's that's a common uh, Manifestation of opiate withdrawal.
0: So those would be I guess some of the first signs and do those two happen within you know a matter of hours after y- your last it, time it's of
1: soon years? it's not as quick as alcohol, but both um, the onset of both kinds of detox symptoms are related to how much you're using the more you use the more likely you are to have sooner and more severe symptoms but but it varies
0: so more and more things like uh, you know painkillers and and those types of drugs are coming here to the U.S. from places like China to Mexico then to the United States and so we're going to see more of this you think
1: I suspect so Uh, you know one of the in the past um, a lot of the drugs that were in the country that were taken illicitly were actually legally prescribed and were diverted uh, from their intended use to illicit use Uh, there have been tremendous changes in the way the DEA regulates uh, these drugs and now there's computer database there are pharmacy databases there are um, a lot of things that prevent diversion of these drugs by limiting the prescription uh, capability of these drugs and so we don't see that nearly as much as we used to most of this now is from drugs that are are actually moved internationally and a lot of times fentanyl and meth can be laced in other drugs and so you never know what you're getting or how much you're getting it can be in marijuana it can be in They have these um, uh, pill-making machines where they can actually make a a pill, compress the powder, and make it look like anything they want. And so kids who, you know, they go to a party or somebody gives them a pill, they, they have no clue what they're taking or how much is in it.
0: That's really scary to think about. And I know the TBI has been talking more and more about the dangers of how fentanyl is being used and mixed in with other drugs and sold on the street. And then you have these fatal overdoses because I guess those around don't know exactly what they took.
1: Don't know what they took or how much they took. I mean, you know, if you have uh, relatively pure fentanyl, what's equivalent to one or two grains of rice will kill you
0: that's scary
1: i mean you know it's it's very potent and you know and there are other synthetic drugs in the world of biochemistry that can be made from these that are still opiate derivatives and are harder to test for and are very fatal and it's it's a scary time because we're actually dealing with um what i believe is an attack on the country And and we're just not responding to it appropriately. We're having uh, way too much of this come in and we're having um, we don't have enough mental health treatment. We don't have enough uh, detection. And I think that we're approaching it from sort of behind the eight ball. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. Again, Dr.
0: Dan Rudd with us this morning, and one of his duties is overseeing medical at the local jail. And you've been doing that for a number of years as well.
1: I have, I think about 16, 17 years now. And uh, so, you know, it's, um, it's something I've, I enjoy a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it's very uh, um, interesting to be able to take care of people. You know, we, de- we do everything from uh, OB care uh, all the way through to hospice care
0: you know you have because of, of working there with jail inmates you've kind of seen the behind the scenes if you would look at, at what's really going on in our community with the use of drugs the use of alcohol but you've seen a side of it that's much more in depth than a lot of people would ever see
1: uh, i see a tremendous variety and it's it definitely is a kind of a snapshot of the community i think that one of the things that's been interesting too as to what has has been watching the decline of COVID-19 uh, because, you know, we had a peak um, uh, last uh, fall winter that uh, we, we saw m- many cases of COVID at the jail. And for the last several weeks, we've been at, z- at zero. Now from w- so w- that's great.
0: So right now at the local jail, what, again, are you looking at with the numbers of COVID? Zero? Zero. Wow. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but we do a lot of testing. We've been doing testing um, actively. You know, we've, we've got a, a joint program with the health department to do vaccinations. Unfortunately, about only a third of people uh, have chosen to be vaccinated. Uh, you know, when you're in jail, you still have rights and you have the right to decline any medication or treatment. And so we've encouraged people to be vaccinated, but that's all I can do really. I think that, you know, one of the things that unfortunately has been a defining moment in our country has been this pandemic. And I've been able to really watch it as a community uh, through the jail. I think one of the things that's, that's interesting now is realizing that even with the low numbers we're seeing, Uh, Rutherford County is still fifth in the state for numbers of COVID cases. And, uh, you know, we've had, um, I think to date, about uh, 44,000 cases, and we've had about 448 deaths in Rutherford County. Fortunately, um, you know, we've not had any deaths at at the jail uh, from COVID, and that most of the deaths that I've seen have been related to people with comorbidities where they have uh, other diseases, uh, cancer, uh, severe diabetes, um, uh, heart disease, obesity. Uh, those are really the risk factors for dying from COVID 19.
0: Now, throughout the entire COVID pandemic, you know, since day one back in March of 2020, uh, from what I understand, folks who never really experienced anxiety problems, maybe they never really experienced in-depth depression issues, all of a sudden started becoming depressed, started becoming anxious right when the job losses started to occur. And we saw a change, I think, in the community as far as emotional well-being because of COVID.
1: That's exactly right. And I think that, you know, we realize now that that whole symptom complex is related to what's called, uh, has different names, but the currently accepted name is uh, post acute sequelae of COVID 19, PASC, which is also known as the long hauler's disease or long hauler's COVID. Uh, it's a, a symptom complex that develops uh, after COVID has resolved the acute illness. And it can involve um, disturbances in smell and taste, headaches, uh, a lot of neuropsychiatric symptoms, uh, depression, anxiety, um, GI complaints, uh, rashes. Uh, There's a long list of symptoms that are associated with this. And we don't really know why. Um, You know, now, one thing we do know that I think is incredibly important to communicate is that uh, 99% 99% of the people who die now from COVID-19 have not been vaccinated. I mean, so it's it's one of those important things to do. People are debating about whether uh, the variants have a change in the effect of the vaccine. And I think it's pretty clear that um, every vaccine that's available is fairly effective. The mRNA vaccines, though, are, I mean, that's the one that was given at State Farm locally, the Moderna vaccine, and and that's a very good vaccine. It's very safe. All vaccines, because they stimulate your immune system and they act differently in different people, can cause uh, problems in rare individuals. And I think one of the things that's shown up recently is uh, the myocarditis pericarditis that can occur especially in young men which you know you that's a but guys between say 17 18 or and 40. um i've seen one case of that it was uh, fairly benign it was easily treated um and they did fine Uh, you know now the real question is coming up about whether we should vaccinate children and i think that's a question that um, Right now, I come down on the side of no, uh, we really shouldn't. I, you know, if I had a child under 12, uh, you know, I would not vaccinate them unless they were in high risk because they had another chronic disease. If they suffered from um, an immunologic disease or from a cancer, I would go ahead and get them vaccinated. But, uh, you know, if they're a healthy kid under 12, the risk is so low. And it's and the risk of the vaccine is low also, but I think it's higher than the disease. You
0: know, I mean, you're you're talking about these different numbers and cases and then should we get vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? So the children out there who are 12 and under who, you know, you're saying I wouldn't vaccinate unless they had other underlying medical issues. Um, How does a parent go about deciding you know, well, my son has this and this, but does that mean that he's more likely to get COVID?
1: Well, I think number one is go to your doctor, listen to your doctor. I mean, you trust them for other things that, I mean, you, you know, this happens to be in the news. You can read about a lot of the things online. You can, uh, you can think for yourself. I, you know, I believe that we as a country, I mean, one of the things I value is freedom and it's the freedom to make a choice. You know, we have to choose all the time. Are we going to get in a car to drive somewhere? There's a risk. Are we going to drive the speed limit? Are we going to wear a seatbelt? There, there's nobody that's going to come and give you a ticket for not doing that unless they catch you. You know, uh, you have the right to be stupid. And, <sighs> you know, that's, uh, that is an American right. Now, there's some choices that are not stupid that are just different choices. And I think that that's the gray zone. You know when you you say, um, should I be vaccinated? You know every year we face that. Childhood vaccines have have become a part of life and and have saved no telling how many kids. I mean polio, smallpox, you know the, rubella, measles. There's there are a lot of diseases that we vaccinate for. Nobody questions it. And we've had side effects from vaccines, but the number of those, the number of side effects are very low. And I think we accept that as part of the risk and th- all the hype in the media, the political tension, all this stuff has changed the way we look at vaccines in particular for COVID. Um, and, and that's not bad. I mean, we need to be informed and you need to read. Um, that helps and they're going to make choices and those choices it's weighing relative risk and it's not saying that if i do this i have no risk if i do this i have a lot of risk it's relative and you have to just accept that and make a choice again with
0: us this morning dr dan rudd you know it's interesting in talking about covid and talking about the pandemic and how long it's been going on and then also talking about alcohol use and drug use. There's one underlying theme that keeps coming up, and that is mental illness, depression, anxiety, all those different mental illness-related emotional, I guess, problems that people face in life. But they're always an underlying tone, it seems like, in conversation in the medical field. But yet, it also seems like the community doesn't fully recognize these mental illnesses out there. They don't fully recognize that There's other problems that are created because of the pandemic. There's other problems created because of what you went through as a child growing up. And, you know, mental illness is huge, but it does not get enough attention.
1: It doesn't. And we don't have enough resources to address the mental illness that exists. I think one of the problems, though, is, you know, there tends to be this reflex for providers to just prescribe medicine. And that's while it may be helpful in the short term the long term is um really we don't know what that does you know the more people you put on psychoactive medications uh you know that that's not really solving a problem and i think that more and more needs to be done to address non-pharmaceutical approaches to uh, stress anxiety and depression and identifying other ways to treat those because medications are helpful but they're not the only answer so do
0: you think you know let's say five years from now and once more numbers are released and more studies are done on the impact of COVID on our community on our country do you think five or ten years from now we're going to see i don't know some huge statistics showing that the covid 19 pandemic caused XYZ, But then what is that XYZ that it caused in people?
1: I think that we'll see more um, as far as outcomes, but I think most of the outcomes that we'll see that will be surprising will be the economic outcomes. I think recognizing the fact that what's having to be done at a national level to maintain the economy with the, the uh, stimulus checks, the um uh, damage to businesses, all of these things are going to have long-term effects too. And uh, to say that the virus is going to have some secret long-term effect, I don't, I don't expect that. Um, you know, we're into this a year and a half now. And generally, the coronavirus is a respiratory virus. It's a, in a family of viruses that are very well known to medicine. And, you know, there is no... Uh, you know, like Trojan horse effect that seems to, you know, explode at five years or four years. And I, I think that we will see other viruses that emerge. There's no doubt that these emerging viruses, uh, most of which will not be damaging, uh, some of which could be very damaging. But one of the things that I, I feel as that's positive is through the COVID pandemic, we have learned technologically uh, a lot. The, you know, just sequencing a virus, you know, which now um, in, say, for instance, in Israel, every virus they test that they test is sequenced. Before the pandemic, it used to cost about $100,000 to sequence a virus. Now it's about $10. Hmm. You know, that technology is going to move forward and help us as we identify other diseases that that we need to know about. Uh, Learning about the immune system, I mean, one of the things that's incredibly complicated is our immune system. We've got basically two branches of the immune system, Uh, the um, T cell, which is the basically the antibody i mean the b cell which is the antibody and the t cell which is which called cell derived immunity and those two branches are both critical but they sort of are checks and balances they they allow the uh body to fight diseases Um, so if you have a deficiency of antibody you have you have t cell immunity which can make up for it and One of the big flaws with looking at these variants now, they, you know, they call them the variants of concern, the um, like the Delta variant of the COVID virus. And the I mean, they're using Greek letters now as opposed to uh, uh, geographic names. And, uh, you know, I think that they're realizing that you can have um, less antibody and still have very adequate immunity related to T cells.
0: With us this morning, uh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Dan Rudd. With us this morning, we're going to take a short break in just a second, uh, but before we do, I, I know CBS News had a story on this morning talking about how Florida surpassed 200,000 cases of COVID-19 this past Sunday, which was Fourth of July, following the whole Fourth of July holiday weekend, and and the state recorded its most cases reported in a single day. And at least 40,000 cases have been reported by the Florida Department of Health in the last four days. So, with the sunshine state seeing so many cases so rapidly, I, I, I mean, it sounds like they really increase there. Um, what would be the cause of that? I, well, I mean,
1: I'm sure the cause is, is people getting out and mixing at these parties and celebrations and, uh, you know, sports events and music events. And, you know, that's normal. Again, I think we have to go back to the fact that 99% of the new deaths that, that are occurring from COVID occur in people who are not vaccinated, okay? Being vaccinated doesn't mean that you can't get the infection. It just means that you won't get really sick.
0: But you'll still spread it.
1: You could. You, you Absolutely, you could. And, you know, and, and how... Transmissible it is, is is one factor in looking at the uh, epidemiology or the spread of the disease, and so uh, even though uh, the disease may be uh, have a, ha- may have a slight spike in um, ca- in Florida right now, it doesn't mean that we're going to see the disease intensity spike.
0: Again with us this morning, Dr. Dan Rudd. We are going to go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the intensity of COVID-19, and are there new strains coming up? And if so, I mean, I'm, I'm curious if the if the shot, the vaccination, can fight off those new strains. But we'll take a short break, and then we'll come right back. Time right now, 8:48. You're tuned in to WGNs on this Tuesday morning. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9 AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. In this salute, we talk to a veteran who served in the Marines, Andrew Farr, Marine Combat Veteran. I was born in Nashville, grew up in uh, New Hampshire, Uh, went to boarding school, went to college, and then uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps. Did four years, three combat tours, and then got out in 2008. A combat veteran is not an easy job. No, it wasn't when I was in. Not for the Vietnam vets, uh, not for Korea. World, right. War I, World War One, World War Two. Those guys had a rough, and I, I did have a rough, but not as not as bad as those guys. Well, that's that's true, and I think it's because society as a whole is becoming more aware of what we're asking yes. of our military personnel. You said you did three tours. That was uncommon. In back Vietnam. then. Vietnam, you did one tour, two tours. That was it. But now we have guys doing three, five, six, six, six seven. I known a guy who did eight tours. Uh, we did the Democratic vote in '05 okay. in Iraq. We were part of that. 2006, eh, not so much humanitarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007, definitely humanitarian. We actually helped out Bangladesh in '07 when they had that micro-tornado. We gave them food and water and, and uh, helped them uh, recover bodies from the mess. I think that our foreign policy in particular is asking a lot of the men and women of yes, this country. I agree. Andrew Farr, Marine Combat Veteran. I'm Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage, we can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration 1 Middle Tennessee Locally and veteran You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877 714 1313 or kidlinkservices.com We'll see if you spot showers and thunderstorms possibly this afternoon with a blend of clouds and sunshine developing a high in the mid 90s. Southeast winds of five to ten miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Vuichit, Scan News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSradio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. News time right now, 8.51. We only have a few more minutes in the action line this morning. Our guest today, Dr. Dan Rudd. Uh, not only you practice private privately, but you also are over the medical at the local jail here in town. Uh, but we've been talking about COVID-19, the pandemic, all of that good stuff. Not really good stuff, but one of the things that we have seen since the start of the pandemic, we have seen different strains of COVID 19, and I guess it evolves or changes over time. So, are we going to see even more strains of COVID 19 come up?
1: The short answer is yes. I think that, you know, we have to realize that um, coronavirus, when it infects a person, uh, makes many, many, many different types, uh, genotypes of virus uh, with that one infection. Because there's a hodgepodge of the way the uh, virus is bagged and released from the body. And there are many variants that basically are expelled in a cough or sneeze. The, quote, fitness of the variants depends upon um, a lot of things such as transmissibility, uh, ability to infect, ability to... uh, elude the immune system. um, There are a lot of variables that go into what's called fitness of the virus. And, And it's not a simple thing to say that one virus is more dangerous than another variant. And I think that we have to realize that also with these variants, you know, like we talked about a minute ago, we have two types of immune system. We have the antibody type and the cell type, the cellular defense. And the cellular or T-cell epitopes, this gets a little complicated, so I'm gonna to try to keep it brief and simple, but the T-cell the epitopes don't vary, only the B-cell. And so the T-cell immunity is stable across the different variants. The B-cell immunity is not. But the mRNA viruses seem to produce the same T-cell epitopes, and so we get good coverage with all of them, especially the mRNA vaccines. And I think the, the danger of the variants is, is very low to vaccinated people.
0: So in other words, the vaccination that's currently being given should be sufficient for the most part, at least for the next few years, it sounds like.
1: Exactly. Now, one of the things that we don't know is um, how that immunity will wane over time. Is it going to uh, dip so low that we have to do booster shots? We'll see that in the numbers because we have, you know, we'll be testing people, screening it. and, And if we see that vaccinated people start to get sick again, that's different than get infected. But if they get infected and they get sick then we'll know it's time for boosters.
0: You know, in history, we've seen things like a, you know, a smallpox outbreak, you know, years and years ago, things like that. But when you first started practicing medicine, did you ever envision something like
1: this COVID-19 pandemic happening? Uh, It's always been talked about in medicine, but when I started, HIV was just coming to the forefront. And I'll tell you that was a much scarier disease, you know, and it had much less economic impact on us. We dealt with it, you know. Tremendous advances in virology and virologic treatment were um, developed because of HIV, and you know, nobody missed a day of work because of HIV. Nobody, you know, there were no stimulus checks because of HIV. There was nothing, and it was a much more dangerous and deadly disease. At that time, it was almost 100% fatal. Wow. If you got HIV, you were going to die. Now, there were a couple of exceptions, but it totally wiped out the uh, hemophiliac population. It decimated the dialysis population, and, you know, and uh, of course, the gay population and the IV drug abusing population. And so, but we we still functioned. I mean, we just moved on and life went on. Lots of people were oblivious to it, but it was a very deadly disease at the time. And now because of medications and advances in treatment, HIV is not deadly. I mean, it's a chronic disease, but even vaccines are being developed and it's a very tricky virus to develop vaccines for.
0: And I remember when HIV became so well known and in those beginning stages, from what I remember, there were a lot of false positive tests whenever people went to do things like donate blood and they had to do a, a test to find out if they were HIV positive, then they would be mailed a notification, you're HIV positive, when in fact they weren't. Right. But Well, those- and that's
1: true with all tests in the beginning because the, the um, words sensitivity and specificity go into testing. And, you know, sensitivity is basically... If, if the disease is there, will it pick it up? And specificity is, if it picks it up, is it accurate? And well, so y- tests initially are lower on those scales than they are l- at later times. And it's like the testing now for COVID. You know, we have much better tests. You can get over-the-counter tests at the drugstore that you can do at home. I mean, the tests are are good now, and for HIV, it was the same way uh, the the testing was poor and uh, but the thing that happened with HIV is if you got HIV, you were sick and and it just went downhill it It wasn't anything that was chronic. It, you were going going to die from it.
0: Well, you know, it kind of brings me to the question: were there a lot of false positive tests done, test results given out? that said you're positive for COVID-19 in the beginning, but you really weren't.
1: I think absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that we did is we depended a lot on the PCR test. The PCR test is a test for viral antigen. You could basically get infected, not get sick, and test positive for it. Um, You know, there are a lot of other coronaviruses that can initially in the pcr testing would test positive uh on pcr and you know we even had cruise ships that the pcr testing was it it was crazy because they would test what are called fomites which are like tabletops and countertops and doorknobs and Mm -hmm. and uh various other surfaces laundry that would test positive for covid and really was That was not a risk for the disease. The disease is spread by aerosol, by sneezing, coughing, kissing. Uh, That is how the disease is spread. The disease, COVID-19, is not spread by countertops and doorknobs.
0: We only have 30 seconds left now. (laughs) Dr. Dan Rudd has been our guest this morning right here on the Action Line on WGNS. And for those listening, you can go back and listen to the program in just a little while because we're gonna make it in podcast form and put it on our website for you to listen to. Uh, But doctor, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, it's great to be here. Good to see you, glad you're up and doing well. And um, I hope that everyone enjoys the beautiful day in the summer and that we continue to have uh, these very low numbers of COVID and move into the fall and get back to normal
0: sounds good to me again dr dan rudd has been our guest you're tuned in to wgns murphy's bro